0: Our lives are governed by countless rhythms. Today, circadian rhythms and jet lag are patients and ourselves. You're listening to Reach MD, XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Curtis Graber. Curtis is a PhD senior technical fellow and chief engineer of the Human Factors section at the Boeing Commercial Airplane Company in Seattle, Washington. And today, we're talking about circadian rhythms and jet lag. Curtis, welcome. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. There's a lot of talk about rhythms in the media, circadian rhythms, biorhythms, jet lag. What is circadian rhythms, and what about jet lag?
1: Well, circadian rhythms is the most straightforward of all of them. It refers to those body functions that are controlled by the body clock so that they function in approximately a 24-hour cycle, coming from circa in Latin, meaning about, and dia, meaning day. Almost every physiological function in most mammals is controlled this way, and the basic clock that controls them is some cells in the suprachiasmatic nucleus at the base of the brain that's behind the optic chiasm. These cells have their own internal rhythm that tends to drive uh, the various physiologic functions. The exact timing of this clock depends a bit on its communication with the outside world. So we know that light and social activity and meal timing can help control exact timing of this particular clock.
0: And what about jet lag? How does that fit in?
1: Well, jet lag refers to the fact that when you switch time zones, the body clock and circadian rhythms have to eventually adjust so you feel as well there as you did at home. The problem is that the body clock does not adjust as fast as the airplanes
0: take us there. And so we have struggled over the years of uh, flight to uh, find some kind of uh, effective countermeasures. Are there effective countermeasures? The answer
1: is yes and no. Many people take jet lag and circadian rhythms and summarize it in one simple variable, and that is the variable of sleep. Uh, Though, of course, jet lag manifests itself in terms of indigestion, performance effects, and so forth. But the most obvious one is sleep. Now, we all know there are countermeasures to produce good sleep, There are some very fast-acting drugs that are now available uh, that actually move the sleep capability as, as rapidly as you want to the new time zone if you keep taking the drug. But that doesn't really solve the jet lag problem. There are things you can do to help yourself adjust faster. And what is it? Being outdoors, being active, and moving your activities, including your meals, to the new time zone as soon as possible. All of those are cues with the clock that it's in a new time zone should be adjusting. Different individuals are affected by these in different ways. Let's uh,
0: explore that a little bit. How about age? Does age affect your ability to adjust?
1: There's been no definitive study that's shown that, though if you talk to people that are older that are traveling, they'll often tell you that. Part of the issue, of course, we also know as you get older, your ability to sleep through the night diminishes. So if you look at sleep clinics, you get a much higher proportion of patients over, say, age 50. So you combine that with traveling across time zones, you've got some sleep issues, then you've got the time zone issue. The bottom result is it's a little more difficult to adjust. I can speak personal experience, I guess.
0: We as physicians often get uh, questions from our patients who are traveling about jet lag or anti-jet lag drugs uh, that you mentioned earlier. Some of these may be prescriptions, some of them may be over-the-counter. I've seen quite a few recently in our local pharmacy. What do you think about that, especially the over-the-counter stuff? Any any science behind that at all?
1: You can get a lot of arguments on this. There's not a lot of science behind them. A lot of them are homeopathic remedies, and those that are very of homeopathic things would say they work terrifically. Another one out there is melatonin. I've tried it once myself. It wasn't very effective, but a lot of people I know, particularly some pilots, swear it's very effective. Melatonin helps accelerate uh, the production of serotonin and produce better sleep at night. So it's over-the-counter, but it is a hormone, and I think one should be careful about chronic usage of melatonin.
0: You talked about outside cues and how that affects jet lag. Obviously, there was a lot of talk recently about light therapy and changing your exposure to light. Tell us a little bit about that and whether that's got any practical applications.
1: The light therapy work actually is quite well documented, beginning with some work done uh, actually at Harvard over, over 15 years ago, and that continues to be reinforced by the science. But some people have taken it and looked at it without understanding the subtlety of it. Giving the bright light at certain times of the circadian cycle can, at least in a laboratory, shift the body more rapidly. The key point is the marker as to when in the circadian cycle. We typically use body temperature, and body temperature is at its low point in your home time zone about 4, 4.30 in the morning. So if you expose somebody to bright light before that that low point, before 4 o'clock in the morning, you tend to move the clock back. That is, you move the body more west, more rapidly than if you didn't. If you expose them to the light after the low point, let's say at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, you tend to advance them in an eastward direction. So that's been documented very well in many studies in the laboratory.
0: You are listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn and I'm speaking with Curtis Graber, Ph.D., and we are discussing circadian rhythms and jet lag. Curtis, if you apply light therapy at the appropriate place in the temperature cycle, do you think the efficacy is worth recommending to our patients, or is this still a research issue?
1: There are quite a few devices out there now. One of them is called a light box that can provide that kind of dosage of light at set times, depending on where you're going. Uh, Some people find it quite effective, but... You have to add it into all the other things that are going on around you. One point here at Boeing, we explored doing something like that on an airplane. Could you have what we call light class service? Well, the problem would be, of course, is what time zone are you coming from, what time zone are you going to, and what the light sources are in the cabin at the same time.
0: Well, that leads us to sort of an obvious question. You are a sleep researcher and uh, human factors researcher and you work for an aircraft manufacturer. What are the interests of aircraft manufacturers in jet lag and circadian rhythms?
1: Well, one reason I find it fascinating to have come here from NASA is because we're at the crux of the issue. In order to fly airplanes where people want to go, we're finding they want to go point to point nonstop if they can. Nobody wants to spend three hours laying over at a Tokyo airport at two o'clock in the morning if they can go nonstop. So that's terrific, and we now have the airplanes that can do that. The concerns arise is what about the pilots that fly them, and what about the passengers in the back? And we try to address both. On the pilot side, we are looking very closely at how we provide good quality bunks on board for pilots to sleep and try to help use some computer modeling techniques where we actually can predict when the best time is to sleep, and we help the crews determine when they should sleep, when the landing crew should sleep, how to operate in that environment. At NASA, we actually did studies on a cockpit nap, where we actually had crews, with permission of the FAA, take a 40-minute nap in the cockpit, and some crews without a nap. We had EEG attached, as well as some simple performance tasks, and we found a marked improvement in performance and safety, with the crews getting about a 25-minute nap in the seat. So we also recommend that, and we've worked with the regulatory authorities to do that in some countries. In the back of the airplane, again, we have done things in our newer aircraft that improve humidity and reduce cabin altitude, which should produce better ability to sleep and more overall comfort and reduce the other effects that people often attribute to jet lag.
0: The kind of research you've done with pilots, is any of that or much of that applicable to passengers as they travel?
1: Well, I think it is. I mentioned the earlier studies at NASA where we actually looked at pilots as well as subjects in a laboratory on the effects of the time zone shift on sleep and we found that while of course there was less sleep en route when they arrived in the new time zone they actually slept better that first night and were quite awake the next day the day after that they slept more poorly and that happened both in the laboratory and with the real crews what we find if in the laboratory we were able to have people stay there for 10 days and we watched their adjustment slowly in terms of total sleep what would happen is sort of a seesaw effect. That is, the first night they slept well because they were sleep-deprived. second night they slept poorly because they were no longer sleep-deprived and the body clock was working against them. And This kept changing as the week went on until they finally adjusted after about a week's time period. It helps passengers a lot to know what they can expect to have happen when they get to a new time zone so they can plan themselves accordingly and not be surprised.
0: Well, it sounds like a lot of this information could be helpful to passengers and maybe to the physicians who counsel them. Uh, if we uh, as physicians are looking for this kind of science, where do we find it? The sleep medicine book that's out
1: there, I wrote an initial chapter for it several years ago. There's been some new editions. I think the new edition covers some of this, Principles and Practice of Sleep Medicine. A lot of these kind of articles are published in uh, aerospace medicine, but they're very specific.
0: That's a monthly journal? It's a monthly journal. We talk about some of the potentials for and the potential is both for the good and the bad of uh, long-distance travel. Could you give us some perspective? How long can aircraft travel now, nonstop, and what do you see for the near future?
1: Well, the current aircraft on the market today can travel up to about 17 and a half, 18 hours. The ones that are just coming out of the factories, both ours and our competitors, will be flying up to 20 hours, which pretty much gets you anywhere in the world going halfway around the world. So you won't expect much more than that.
0: And so it sounds like there's going to be a need for continuing research into these areas of uh, circadian rhythms and jet lag.
1: I think there will be, and I think we'll learn a lot more as these operations become more and more routine because we continue to find that the passengers of the world still prefer the nonstop
0: route. I want to thank Kurt Graeber, Ph.D., who's been our guest. We've been talking about circadian rhythms and jet lag. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233 the channel for medical professionals.